Good evening, this is Dove Tuzman, and you're on equal footing. I may get into some more hot water tonight. Last week's show on pheromones and mating, I was shocked to at the response because there were folks that thought it was interesting and funny and related to it personally, and other folks that were set off by it. I never can predict really which topics will uh, cause, will irk folks. I think tonight, though, is pretty predictable, and it might. It's not the intent. The intent, as always on this show, is to allow us to have differences of perspective, have opposing points of view, not necessarily agree with each other, but respect each other nonetheless, and learn from those differences in opinion. I want to talk about a phenomenon tonight that in the academic, the sociological academic community is often referred to as the entitlement paradox, sometimes referred to as moral licensing. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, sounds like a boring program, wait till the explanation. The The entitlement paradox is the concept that religious people, folks that self-identify as religious, as observant, as orthodox in the Jewish community, as uh, evangelist in the Christian faith, for example, just give a couple of examples, feel entitled often and display, unfortunately, worse moral behavior. And the same is the same idea is, is comes forth with the concept of moral licensing, where you have kind of a license to act immorally because you feel like you're observing basic rituals or practices of your religion, and it kind of gives you a license and a free pass. There is a substantial body of work academically uh, published in peer-reviewed scientific journals on these topics, so it's not up for debate that the behavior exists. The question is why. Are religious people more prone to be jerks, to be obnoxious? Or is there a an observation bias? Do we just hold religious people to a higher standard and therefore notice their missteps more. What I don't want to do in tonight's program is talk about the Bernie Madoffs of the world or the Harvey Weinsteins of the world or whatever that may be from uh, Joel Osteen or whatever, depending on the, the faith perspective, that, that are kind of folks that, that may or may not have self-qualified as religious but certainly were identified with a religious group and then are disgraced somehow or um, you know, display bad moral behavior, because that's really talking about the exception to the rule, the extreme end. I want to talk about the the person in the street, the average observant Jew, the average observant Christian, the average observant Muslim. Are they morally superior? Not superior, I'm not going to say that. Are they displaying better behavior in their daily life than a person who's an, an atheist or an agnostic? We have two respected theologians here joining us tonight who are going to address this issue head on. They're not afraid to be in the line of fire on this topic, which I almost called in the social media blast of the program tonight, are religious people jerks? And I did, look, I'm, I 
self-qualify as religious, and there's probably some folks rolling their eyes. I know from the emails that I get there are folks rolling their eyes. I actually think it's incumbent upon us who are trying to live a religious life to doubt, to question, to critique, and to hold ourselves to the higher standard. Hence, I'm also putting myself in the fire line, firing line, but no, not in, in any way close to the way that Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor are doing, because they're willing to be on this program and talk about this very sensitive issue, effectively of hypocrisy that often displays in religious life. Let me introduce Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Rabbi Y.Y., for those that, and I, I think many of you listening know who he is. He's one of America's premier Jewish thinkers and leaders. He's one of the most sought-after speakers and teachers in the Jewish world today, period, globally. He serves as a mentor to hundreds of thousands of Jewish seekers across the globe. He's considered one of the most passionate passionate and mesmerizing communicators of Judaism's uh, current generation. I can attest to that. I'm a regular consumer of Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson's materials, which are available online. You can find them all over the place. Rabbi Y.Y. was born in 1972 in Brooklyn. I've got one year on you, Rabbi Waiwai. <laughs> he grew up at the feet of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, absorbing his teachings and writings. This is the, the leader of the Chabad Lubavitch movement globally, and he, he grew up learning with him. In 1998, 1988, at the tender age of 15, young Y.Y. Jacobson began serving on a small team of oral scribes and human tape recorders for the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And these oral scribes were charged with memorizing and transcribing three to even seven hours of talks in, in, in talk length of a single talk by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And, and these were talks that were presented on Shabbat and during holidays. So recording devices were not allowed to be used and had to actually, you know, remember these uh, these talks. It's really extraordinary. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson serves as a spiritual leader of the Or Chaim Synagogue in Muncie, New York. He's the author of the acclaimed A Tale of Two Souls. This is a 150-part audio series on the teachings of the Hasidic classic text, the Tanya, which I recommend to, to those who haven't experienced the Tanya. This is a great gateway to that learning. Rabbi Waiwei has written more than 1,000 articles on biblical and Talmudic studies, Jewish law, Kabbalah, psychology, and, and history. So really pleased to have you on, uh, Rabbi Waiwei. You, you, you told me I can call you that uh, familiarly. Thanks for being on Equal Footing again. Really enjoyed our last talk. Thank you so much for the invite. I hope you'll come on again after the subject matter of tonight, Rabbi Waiwai. <laughs> now, I want to introduce a, 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 our um, esteemed uh, guest coming to us from the Christian faith perspective. I've really enjoyed the relationship over time, really the friendship. I think it's, I hope I can call it that, Reverend Dave, that uh, that has evolved uh, through being on the program together a number of times, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, I'll call Reverend Dave, has been gracious with his time and has really impressed upon me the humility and the, that, in, that great humility and great intellectual rigor and learning can go together and are best served when they go together. I've learned, uh, from you, Reverend Dave, on a number of topics, some of them secular, some of them religious, and I love your ability to also converse in a multi-faith environment and give us a Christian perspective without it feeling, you know, preachy or antagonistic. And Reverend David Taylor has been 
the chaplain at St. Andrew's School in Florida, which is one of the top private schools in the country for 22 years. Uh, he grew up in a Southern Baptist evangelical home. You'll, you'll see in a moment that there's kind of a change in the, in the nature of his faith over time. After graduating from the University of Mississippi, Reverend David Taylor earned his Master's of Divinity from the Southern Theological Seminary, and he also holds a Master's of Religious Studies from the University of Cape Town in South Africa. In fact, in Cape Town, he interned with the Nobel Peace Prize winner, the Bishop Desmond Tutu. And Reverend Dave became a member of the Episcopal Church, so just kind of switched uh, denominations in the 1990s and earned his doctorate from the Virginia Episcopal, Episcopalian Seminary. And Reverend David Taylor has served as a chaplain to major and minor league baseball teams, veterans hospitals, retirement communities, prisons, and numerous boarding schools. Uh, that's a, a brief, a brief bio. Uh, Reverend Dave, welcome back to Equal Footing. It is wonderful to be back, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Reverend Dave and Rabbi Waiwei, let's go right to the, the hard-hitting first first question. I, I, there is a substantial amount of academic research out there that non-religious people, in fact, non-believers, let me be more, I'm not talking about what are sometimes called in the sociological lit- literature nuns, meaning people, N-O-N-E-S, people that are none of the above, I'm not so affiliated, I don't know if I believe, I don't know, I don't even know if I want to call myself agnostic, I'm talking about disbelievers, people self-qualify as non-believers or atheists, display sociologically from a young age uh, more altruistic behavior and what we would generally, and by many metrics, call moral moral behavior. And I'm going to sum, there's a whole bunch of studies out there on this, but let me turn to one that's particularly salient. It's uh, relatively recent, uh, 2017, uh, in the peer-reviewed academic journal Current Biology, and it was a multi-year study of, uh, of almost 5,000 children. They were Christian, Muslim, and atheist from a variety of different uh, of different countries from around around the world and maybe uh, yeah United States China Canada Jordan Turkey South Africa um, I'm sorry it wasn't five thousand it was another side over a thousand children aged five to twelve this this study was uh, was widely published and and sh- and without going into a lot of the detail it was it was based on a, on a on a a, pro- a a game that is used in studying moral behavior in children quite a bit called the dictator game. And it's where you show, in this case, stickers. It could be toys to children, and you ask them to pick their favorite of, say, 30 of them. In this case, it was 30 of these little stickers. And the children are then told that there isn't darn enough stickers to go around and that the experimenter will only have time to play the sticker game with those kids that have stickers and other kids that don't have stickers will not be able to play the game. And then they kind of watch the children's behavior. And the results are pretty astonishing. The, the, it shows that children from uh, religious households, Christian, Muslim, and Jewish, to be fair, the study was focused on Western religions, were significantly less generous and less apt to share their stickers and more more likely to believe they were entitled to the stickers they got than kids from non-religious households or kids that had parents that were atheist. I'm summarizing, and there are a bunch of these studies in adults as well. This is so disturbing, and it goes to the title of the program, the entitlement paradox, this idea that often religious uh, people, when, when we're observant, we think, 
okay, I've done my duties. I'm, <laughs> I'm a good person. I, I've done my mitzvot. I, I, I go to temple or I go to church, or whatever. And, and so all of a sudden I feel entitled. I'm entitled to what I get. And you, and you forget basic niceties and courtesies of life. Reverend Dave, tell me, tell me this is wrong. Tell me the study is wrong. Uh, unfortunately, I'd have to say that it's, uh, uh, in my experience, it's, it's pretty spot on. Uh, sadly, uh, when it comes down to a lot of things, um, whether it's the, the experiment that you mentioned or the Stanford prison experiment or anything that goes along with that, is that when there's an idea of scarcity or abundance, that many times uh, people who have been taught the right thing do actions that are completely contrary to what they know the right thing would be. And and I, I would say that in my Baptist upbringing, if you throw in another wrinkle of that, and that is that, you know, once you have achieved, achieved salvation, there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. So I think it's amazing what you can do if you know you can be forgiven. Right. And this, as I understand it, there's even an... Uh... The entitlement paradox or moral licensing is used by the academic community, but there's a recognition of this in the religious community as well, is, is what I'm hearing, that this is a problem. Uh, yes, definitely. And in fact, there's a, there's an evangelical term uh, that I was brought up with called uh, backsliding. You know, I'm backsliding. I know what the right thing is, but I'm just going backwards just a little bit. And the process of rationalization fits in there as well. Right. I'm already at a high point. I'm moving back a little bit. It's okay because I was already at a good place. <laughs> Rabbi YY, are, are, do we get, do we get off on this issue as, as Jews or do, or do we have this, the same problem in our community? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I do have to say that I'm, you know, I'm not, I didn't, I did not research all the scientific data on this. I'm really, I'm not a, an authority to give an authoritative opinion about this, but I would just make, I think three very important points, and I think they're all factual. Point number one is, in the tradition that I grew up in, which is Jewish tradition, I had a very intense uh, Orthodox Jewish education, grew up by the feet of the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was one of the, maybe one of the most well-known, if not most well-known Jewish leader of the last century, certainly most influential Jewish leader. I, I must say that uh, in my home, in my school, in my community, every Sabbath in the synagogue, my teachers and my great teacher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, would always quote nonstop the statement of Hillel, the first century Talmudic sage who lived even before the rise of Christianity and who spoke to a Gentile who wanted to study all of Judaism while standing on one leg. Give me all of Judaism in 30 seconds, in 10 seconds. And Hillel told them, and this is in Talmud Tractate Shabbos, page 33, the entire Torah consists of knowing that what you dislike to be done to you, don't do to anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's the entire Torah. Right, the golden, the golden rule. Commentary, now go study the commentary, which came to be known as, as, uh, as the golden rule. So I have to say, you know, there's no question, and I see this and I'm pained by it, that often religious people, some of them whom I know, including clergy, often fail to live up to the standards of their own religion and their own heritage or their own faith, and it's it's embarrassing and it's it's hurtful, it's painful, and it's not just in small things. Sometimes we hear about you know heinous crimes, whether it's molestation, or abusing people, or <laughs> complete immoral or 
unethical behavior when it comes to finances or when it comes to respect and dignity of other people, especially those who are vulnerable and need protection. And I think, uh, you know, I, like uh, my colleague and so many of us, abhor it, and we can never become apologetic and defensive and, and dismiss it as an exaggeration and it's not real because too many innocent victims right. have suffered from religious people who have used and camouflaged their inner corruption and lack of courage to deal with their own skeletons and use God or Judaism or religion to cover up for their crimes. Yeah. And, and anyone, anyone who's a religious leader and, and, and a religious, uh, religious person, Jew or non-Jew, must stand up to such, uh, to such heinous actions with, with absolute unwavering commitment and dedication to call a spade a spade and right. to uproot it from within our, our psyche, within our system, and within our infrastructure on every single level. That's, that's an absolute and a given. I, think, I do Rabbi, just want to make... Yeah. Sorry, just a quick interruption. I, th- I think that often yeah, in these sure. discussions, it's tempting to go to the extreme because then it's easy to, to condemn. So we talk about, you know, horrible missteps by members of the clergy or ministers in any, in any religious faith or people in the community, uh, that, that, uh, that kind of, um, that do horrible things. And, 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 and that in a sense, I think creates too much distance between this, this, the, around this issue of, of hypocrisy, because it's like, oh, that's, that's, that happens. We gotta condemn it, but it's one in a hundred, or it's one in ten, or it's one in a thousand, whatever. I'm talking about the daily, the way that we maneuver at the, at the pharmacy, at the grocery right. store, we're getting in an Uber, the, the, when we're standing in line, right. you know, we're walking into the office. Right. And that's unfortunately, whether it's because we're held to a higher standard or whether it's because we have this feeling of entitlement and, and in a sense, moral license and moral laziness, often as, as religious people, we get, uh, we get, uh, there's a stereotype that, that often ultra religious people are, tend to be more rude or less courteous or, uh, you know, or in this, in some of these studies, less, less altruistic, unfortunately, in general society. We're going to be back talking after the break with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor about this really delicate issue of hypocrisy in religious observance. Not that everyone behaves this way, but as religious people, it's really important for us to be attuned to this Peril, this this danger of of entitlement and moral license in our own observance and how it affects and and, and what that does in our daily uh, life and and in our behavior. Call in, give us your stories, give us your perspective, ask us questions. The Reverend Doctor David Taylor and Rabbi Wayway Jacobson, they can take it. They can take it. They've been around the block. They've talked about this issue before. I can tell you on the radio and off the radio that these are gentlemen that are uh, are both incredibly learned and humble and recognize that there are issues that need to be addressed in our respective communities. You can call to seven to, to participate live and ask your question or your comment, 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you're shy, you don't have to say your name. If you call in, you can be anonymous. And you can also send a, a attributed or anonymous text question or comment to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two for a text, either by SMS or WhatsApp. We'll be right back on Equal Foot.
Equal Footing is in part brought to you by DocuVax. You've heard me rave about DocuVax before. I'm biased. I use the system, involved in the company. It's a great service. It's a medical locker on your smartphone. It enables you to put all of your medical records, your blood test results, your vaccine records, your x-rays, your results from a, a general practitioner visit on your phone through an easy-to-use download system that you can then get validated by doctors and nurses that are on staff for you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So it enables you to go to your doctor's appointments without having to get extra charge, you know, charge extra for an unnecessary visit back to your GP, enables you to switch insurance providers more easily. Uh, when you move to a new area, get all of your information ported to your new doctor more easily. DocuVax really seizes on the reality that your medical records belong to you. They don't belong to your insurance company. They don't belong to your doctor. They definitely do not belong to the government. But a lot of people just kind of have their medical records floating all over the place. You don't have the right privacy. You definitely don't have the right validation. Often you get tests more times than you need to, or you forget a test that you're supposed to get. DocuVax reminds you when you're due for a new vaccine, gives you information around basic uh, preventative screenings like colorectal screenings or breast cancer screenings that you should do at certain age uh, points or given your medical profile. And it's really cheap for as little as $6.99 per month. DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their own medical records from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility on your smartphone or your laptop. And again, as I said, medical professionals are on call to validate those records, including vaccines, which is really important these days. You don't have to have your vaccine information sit with the government. You know, there are services that allow you to do it that way, but it's not required. DocuVax is a service that you can use to prove that you're vaccinated against a particular ailment without having to have the government have your data. DocuVax data is never accessible unless you as the individual subscriber want to share it using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure at all times. So put your medical records on DocuVax, take back control over your medical file. You can do it online at DocuVax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. You can find the DocuVax app on iPhone or Android app stores, or you can call. Do it the old-fashioned way. And if you're a small business or organization, I recommend calling because you can get a discount. If you say you heard about it on an equal footing, you can get bulk, discount, bulk discounts for sponsoring this with your employees, just like you would a gym membership or something like that. I think it will be really appreciated. Also, probably reduce sick days when people uh, you know, know what they need to do in terms of vaccinations or preventative screenings. So call 833 one nine three three to find out about DocuVax group programs. That's eight three three eight five nine one nine three three. And make sure you mention you heard about DocuVax on Equal Footing. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been told You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman, and I'm joined by esteemed guests, the Reverend Doctor Dave Taylor and Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. We're talking about moral license, the entitlement paradox, the fact that as religious people often we're not so nice sometimes on a day-to-day basis. I want to, Rabbi Y.Y., I interrupted you before the break, and I want to give you a little anecdote that I want you to help me process as a Jew. Sure. Uh, last year, right around this time, uh, there was a big snowstorm in the city, and I came mm-hmm. out of a building in Queens, uh, and this is in the in the morning, 
And I realized that the night before, I had parked in such a way that the tochas of my car, <laughs> the rear of my car was slightly into the interlap uh, or um, blocking uh, portion of the driveway of the building next to where I was. And it wasn't actually blocking anybody from leaving because it was in front of a huge amount of snow. And this person was up early in the morning. It was a, 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 an Orthodox uh, individual was next door and he was shoveling snow, but from the other side. So he hadn't, hadn't even shoveled his car out yet. So clearly no harm had been done. But nevertheless, you know, I came out. He, he was clearly upset. He said, you're blocking my driveway. Don't worry. This is a short story. I, I apologized for blocking his driveway and said, looks like it didn't cause any harm, but I can understand how it would have. And I'm sorry. He went berserk. And he's wearing a tzitzit and he has a kippah on and so forth. I happened to be wearing a baseball cap this morning, that morning, so he didn't see my kippah. And he's right. screaming at me, but horrible words I can't say on, on the radio. I hadn't, I mean, I, I really hadn't heard this type of things in years since an incredibly hard, you know, the terrible context in my, I just, I couldn't even believe it. I, my, I, my jaw was on the ground. Um, is, right. he was swearing at me young and, and anybody who knows me, you know, I, I, I just go quiet when something like that happens. I didn't respond. He clearly wanted to get into an argument when he finally was out of breath. I said, I hear you. I'm really sorry. Do me a favor, though. When you're doing that, can you take your kippah off or hide your tzitzit? Because for me, and non-Jews listening might not know what this concept, for me it was like Chilul Hashem. It was like, it was desecrating the name of God in the sense that there were two two Jews. It didn't even matter if I was Jewish or not, but it was a person ostensibly saying to the world, I am observant, I'm a religious Jew, look at me. And and doing something that was like absurd. Now that's right. not, this is that's not where the story ends though. The building I had come out of, Rabbi Waiwei. I'm sorry, please don't, mm-hmm. please don't judge me because I'm I'm not uh, married. But at the time I, I was coming out in the morning of my girlfriend's apartment, and I noticed what he that at that moment after I said that very softly, she was standing in the doorway. And mm-hmm. the conversation afterwards was not, "Are you okay?" Uh, you know, I'm sorry he was yelling at you. It was, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, you know, how could you ask an observant Jew to hide their, hide their tzitzit? <laughs> Helpless right. understand. I think, and, and Reverend, <laughs> Reverend Dave, I'm sorry this is so, so specific to this community. But <laughs> in some of these terms, you're like, what? What, is this, what are they talking about? But, Rabbi, why, why, I hear these stories all Reverend the time. Reverend Dave understands. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear these stories all the time. It's like, and it hurts my heart because I'm a totally flawed person. I screw up all the time, and I if I and I sometimes I take my kippah off because I'm not I'm not feeling like I'm showing well. But is that fair of me? Was that comment fair of me, or, or is that something that's endemic to the community? I just need to suck up and deal with it. Listen, here are, here are the real and raw facts. The fact that somebody calls themselves a religious person, the fact that they wear a kippah, they may grow a long beard, they may spend hours in the synagogue, does not necessarily mean that the person has dealt with their inner trauma, their childhood wounds, their skeletons, their demons, their ghosts, their narcissism, other deep emotional, moral challenges that we all have as human beings. A person has to work on themselves. 
the fact that I do all the rituals and I do all the commandments and I eat matzah and Passover and I light candles and Hanukkah is amazing and beautiful. And of course, and it's wonderful. But sometimes the case is that a people who have not worked on themselves and are not refined and don't realize that the same God who commanded you not to work on the Sabbath and to wrap tefillin every day is the same God who told you that the dignity of another person is akin to the dignity of God, that the foundation of all of Torah is seeing the image of the divine in every single person. And that's when my lower angels often Mm -hmm. prevail over me and my inner agitation, anxiety, misery, whatever that guy was dealing with that morning. I don't know because I don't know who he is. And I'm not his therapist. And I'm not his rabbi either. But whatever agitation, anxiety, stress, trauma, anger, frustration he was dealing with because of his wife, his father-in-law, himself. No, we all all make these mistakes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, when we see him, instead of saying, this guy is just having a miserable day and and I became the target and I'm not going to allow myself to be swept in in his ire and I wish him well and I hope he works out his issues. Instead, I right away attribute it to his Judaism, to his religion, to his faith. If he was just wearing a baseball cap and he's just a regular guy and agnostic, I wouldn't attribute it to anything. I would just... Right, I, I hear that. That's a you strong know? counterpoint. But before, we, before we, but before we go there, I want to. I, I mean this without any uh, uh, guile. Is what I said wrong? When I said to him, well, "If you're doing that in the listen, stream," at the same listen. It, oh, what you said is wrong. Well, I think when somebody is acting that way, and they know that they are a Jew that's representing Judaism, they have a responsibility. You know, my uniform is representative of somebody. I'm an right. ambassador of Judaism, and the fact is that people will confuse. I have told my students often, I say, I want to tell you something, and I say it with sadness. I tell this to my students. You can't always confuse Jews with Judaism. <laughs> I wish you could. You can't <laughs> I love that sometimes, sometimes you can, but you can't always. And, and yet, when a person is an ambassador of a faith and a tradition, you have to know who you are and how people see you. And it's very, very unfortunate that this person was not sensitive to that, and so many people are not sensitive to it. But I want to tell you, those and my dear Reverend, at the same snowstorm, exactly at the same snowstorm that you're talking about, I live here in Rockland County, New York. There's an organization called Chaveru, which means friends. And here you have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who 24 hours a day in the Orthodox community, anybody who calls for help from their community or not from their community, you're stuck in the snow, you have a flat tire, your child ran away from the house. Before you ready to call the police, I'm not talking about, you know, a serious 911 or fire issue, but these crisis of a flat tire, I can't start my car, I lost my keys, I can't get into my car. There are people in the Orthodox community, 24 hours a day, hundreds of people, working, working people who have full-time jobs, who will leave at any moment and help you take your car out. In fact, I know I'm a little bit of a schlamazel, and this happened to me and my wife a few times, and they're always available. These stories, and they, why are they doing it? They're doing it. Why are they doing What do they need us for? They're not getting paid. I tried to tip them. No, there's no question that the that there's there's tremendous. They're inspired by a vision. They're inspired by a vision. And I'll you give, know, I'll give in, the sa- in the same in the same concert for the interruption, Rabbi. The same uh, token. No, no, no. I mean, you have the the Chabad Global Giving campaign right now going on that 
a dear friend of mine, Ellie Nash, is really involved in. And, you know, it's it, – I'm amazed. I get these reports like 30 million in what, a week. It's just wonderful people giving from their heart for real uh, purpose. I encourage everyone to be a part of these uh, these these types of organizations. Re- Re- the Reverend you know, four Dr. Weeks ago, Reverend four Dave, weeks let, ago, let me, I was at a Saturday sorry. event. Listen to this. Yeah. I was at a Saturday event four weeks ago in Stamford, Connecticut. I was in a room, I kid you not, with 700 Orthodox Jews, women and men. The common denominator of these 700 people was each of them has given a kidney to a stranger that they don't know. In fact, in the last two years, listen to this. So Wait, hang on a sec, because I, 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 there's no there's, kidney this, donors this, were Orthodox Rabbi Waiwei, this this talk about that. I, but this show is not about adding up the good things versus the bad things. I think there's this very strong argument that the the good right, outweighs the bad. Me, what I'm trying to get at is that people did it because it, of Judaism. They did it because of their religion. No, I get they it. They didn't do it because their mother made a good showing. And I'm not, being, I'm not being self-hating in the comment. Please understand where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is not that the yeah. good does not weigh the bad. The comment we is really what do we do as a community? What do we do about it as a community when we see the problem? Exactly. And and it, the problem exists even if, it, if there's there's tons of good, which is wonderful. It's just not for the topic of tonight's program. So, Reverend Dave, we're going to need to take a break in a sec. But I I want to I want to um kind of in a way uh use Rabbi Waiwei's last comment and 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 merge it with the sociological argument that is made there are non uh religious sociological observers who in other in in studies on moral behavior in believers and disbelievers have pointed out listen actually there are relatively few differences both have moral compasses there's actually a lot of commonality when it comes to belief in altruism and protecting vulnerable people some of the things that Rabbi Waiwei was just talking about Generally, where there is a larger difference has to do with group cohesion and loyalty and kind of speaking out um, against the group. And these studies seem to point in a little bit of a different explanation around hypocrisy in in um, the community of religious uh, observance in any religion and says it's not really that there's a greater degree of hypocrisy. It's more that it's more visible. It's like Rabbi Wai was talking about this is a uniform. You see someone out with a Yankees cap and you're a Red Sox fan, you're more likely to see something that they do as not being good. Is this, in your view, in the Christian faith, is that more of what's going on? Is that, you know, they're just held to a higher standard? Or do you think that there actually is, a, a, you know, there's more apt to be discourteous to group that's more apt to kind of be, uh, kind of break the golden rule, if you will? I think that part of the, uh, the, the question is very important. I really appreciate, Rabbi, why, why, what you said about being an ambassador of your faith and not necessarily, I mean, there's a difference between, um, uh, being a Jew and then the tenets of Judaism. And, and going to your point, uh, Dove, it is very possible to be Christ-like without being a Christian in just terms of moral behavior and how that works out. I think one of the, one of the things about the entitlement paradox is, well, two things. One is the definite need for accountability in every single structure. And I think that is what can uh, minimize the victimization if there are structures of accountability that are firmly in place. Two, in Christian theology, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, the idea that Jesus was sinless. And so as a result, hypocrisy is definitely going to be a part of it, because there's no way you can be perfect. But in spite of that theological thing, it's not in corporate behavior. I think we all dot our I's and cross our T's. Um, if you want to know about me being a hypocrite, you probably need to watch me drive. 
And in fact, there was a classic Christian devotion called What Would Jesus Do, uh, published by Charles Shelton in 1897. I would like to change that. And rather than WWJD of In His Steps, I would be HWJD, How Would Jesus Drive? (laughs) And if you could see that, because then I see my own behavior, and I see the person with the fish emblem on their car cutting me off. And just very quickly, one of the things that I did is a prank. For those that don't know, the fish emblem is is a is kind of a reference to Jesus, right? So people that are often religious will yeah. have an emblem of a fish. Yeah, the, some of our listeners might not be aware. Ichthus, so the the Ichthus symbol, which uh, symbolizes Jesus's first four disciples. Um, as a joke, when I was fifteen, um, myself and another friend decided to put a "Honk If You Love Jesus" bumper sticker on our boss's truck without him knowing it, knowing his temperament. And so as a result, people would get behind him and honk because they thought that he was a person of faith. And woe be unto him for the unleashing of wrath that would come upon him (laughs) um, because of the disconnect between individual behavior and corporate behavior. And I think that's something the entitlement paradox really um, needs to address. We're going to come back to corporate versus individual behavior after the break. We're here talking about hypocrisy in religious life, but specifically this, this, these concepts of the entitlement paradox, sometimes called moral license. Uh, the Reverend Doctor referred to it as uh, earlier, I think, as the concept of eternal security, kind of like. You know, okay, we're a religious person, we're observant, whether we're Jewish, whether we're Christian, whether we're Muslim, whether we're Buddhist, whatever. We check that box, we went to temple, we dive in today, we wrapped the fill-in, whatever it might be, we're, we're eating kashrut, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Reverend Dave, I don't know as many of the references in the Christian side, but we're doing, you know, we're going to church, we're doing what we need to do, and therefore we kind of often the rest of the day forget about our behavior and don't necessarily uh, kind of show well on uh on the with respect to the uniform that we're wearing, whether it's an actual uniform that identifies as religious or whether we convey that we're religious to the world. We'll be back on Equal Footing. Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Well, back on equal footing. We, our phone lines are full, on, uh, so they've been full for a little while. Please be patient. Apologies to those who are calling in. This clearly is uh, raising some interest, this this show about the entitlement paradox, the moral license, often the, the, the reality that as we're as religious people, we're not immune to being jerks, we're not immune to being obnoxious, and you know what? Academic studies show that often we're more prone to be. That sucks. 
All right, let's take let's take some callers. And I sometimes disconnect people. Let's see. Uh caller on line three calling from looks like Hawaii, if I if I know the eight oh eight area code. Are you on the air? Yeah, uh, can you hear me? We can. Introduce yourself. All right. Uh hi, I'm Eliyahu. Eliyahu, um, welcome to Equal Footing. Tell us. Um yeah, I'm I'm here to uh address Judaism only. I don't want to discuss any other uh idolatry of the world. I don't care about them. I'm uh I understand. No, no offense, Reverend Dave. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's uh, like Eliyahu on the mountain uh addressed uh the idolatry of that time. It's the same now. And I was talking earlier and saying that, you know, that you can address the times that we're in by the significant role of what was said. So do we need a temple to come back to Hashem? No, we don't, because the uh, prophet Malachi says, return to me. Hashem says, I love you, return to me. That's now. So we already know what time we're in. We're no, we know we're in a time to return to Israel right now, and Eliyahu's coming back. And so we know... We know these moments that we're well, in. Maybe we should stick to the topic. Yeah, yeah Eliyahu, I, 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 I was letting you go the there, there for a minute. But what? Yeah, let, what's your view on this entitlement paradox problem? Do you do you think it's a problem in the community? Yeah. Or do you think I'm overblowing it? I think I think there's a problem in the community because that we're not addressing things that are happening. I'm uh, like I, I'm I've been helping an 82 year old lady who she can't find her son. She's looking for her son. Uh, she called Jewish services here, does nothing. I've called Jewish services here, does nothing. When you need help, um, yeah, I went to the Orthodox community for help, and, and so, that's so you, it, I'm ta- sorry to, to, to cut you off. So you think it is a problem, uh, it, it is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So for Rabbi Waiwai, speaking with compassion, for someone like Eliyahu, who I'm paraphrasing uh, Eliyahu, but hearing you saying, like, listen, like, I don't see these practices being lived out. I hear them being talked about instead of kind of which often you often hear justification. How can Eliyahu, how can that view be changed? What needs to happen in Eliyahu's experience for that to change? Listen, you know, from my perspective, the key mark of religion is the search for authenticity. Truth. So if religion means that I have to whitewash there's a great Woody Allen moment, right, <laughs> where this uh, this uh, very secular, enlightened niece turns to her very religious uncle and says to him, you know, if you have to choose between God and truth, who would you choose? And the uncle, you know, in this classic, typical response says, of course, God. And it really makes a mockery of everything that becomes of religion when God and truth become different things. When instead of God being basically reality, the search for God is the search for reality, the search for ultimate truth, it becomes something different than truth. And that's that's absurd. It's ludicrous. Such a religion is not worth, uh, you know, it's worthless. So whenever religion forces me or anybody to whitewash um, uh, apathy, narcissism, rudeness, obnoxiousness, uh, unethical behavior. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We never have to become defensive. We have to be able to identify when there's a challenge. 
perhaps. So it's actually, I hear, I, I actually, this is very heartening. I hear you saying, if I'm reading it correctly, like it's okay for Eliyahu to say to the folks he's reaching out to, Hey, I don't feel this is right. I don't feel this is, this is what we're about instead of like staying quiet about it. It's not just okay. It's important. Every single one of us, every single one of us is a leader in our own way. Every single one of us can be either the part of the, can either be part of the problem or part of the solution. From a Jewish perspective, every one of us, every human being is an ambassador, a divine ambassador, an ambassador of love, of light, of hope, of authenticity, of wisdom, of healing, of redemption. And when I'm standing in a synagogue or in a supermarket, or in front of a driveway, and I see somebody behaving in a in, in, in a disturbing way, in a way that instead of bringing light to the world, it brings a little more darkness and divisiveness to the world. It is my responsibility, in the most appropriate and cordial and kind and compassionate way, without judgmentalism, but in a very real and authentic way. I really appreciate people, Rabbi Waiwei. You're in a sense helping me feel, but I'm getting very nervous in this program. I've got I've got uh, listeners saying that I'm dead wrong in every sphere. Uh, I got an email uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as well uh, during while we're while we're on the air that I can only qualify as a uh, a hate email. Uh, and I guess it's fascinating to me that this is so upsetting because I feel like it's our duty, at least, listen, I'll speak for myself. I feel it's like my duty as a member of the Jewish community to, uh, to, to, to point out where we can improve. That's not self-hating. That's not, that's not epicursus. I mean, that's like, you know, it, it's, it's not outside of what I think is, is allowed. To me, that's part of who we are to improving. And, uh, On the contrary, on the contrary, it is the duty of every Jew who cares about the world and cares about Judaism and cares about humanity and cares about the Torah to speak out about these things. When I speak to my constituents, which is very, very often, sometimes too often, I always tell them the way you behave in the train station, in the airport, on an airplane, in your business, in a supermarket, walking in the street, holding the door open. It literally can have a tremendous impact on people's lives beyond your imagination. Saying a kind word, offering a gesture of compassion, giving a compliment to somebody, become an ambassador of light, and we don't realize how many powerful positive changes we can make. Let me just say, but there is one reason people get upset, and I understand them as well. I get it. And that is because people often feel that many conversations on this topic completely eclipse, willingly or unwillingly, consciously or unconsciously, the endless, enormous, daily, nightly acts of self-sacrifice and kindness that exist within and the Orthodox I, and, community. And, and so I know that that's and, and I, I know that that's there. I, I it, we're, we're not. Yeah, that that I get it. I just uh, so. Let's take a call. You know, let's, just, let's let's let's. Sorry, Rabbi, just can I give you a little gonna, anecdote? Can we can right. we allow can our give you a uh, anecdote? let our caller sure, ask sure. a question? Hang on, we've got Rifka on yeah, line sure, five. Sure, sure. Yeah, hi, hi, Dove. Hi, Rifka. Okay, I I want to bring some two different perspectives to you about this whole situation. Part of the reason people are annoyed with what you said is because you gave an example of 
blocking a driveway. I don't know what neighborhood you were in, but I come from Borough Park, and I know people have this in other Jewish neighborhoods. I, I want to tell you, we're very crowded in this neighborhood, and there's very little parking, and parking is a very big issue. Rivka, and, with all due respect, I have had, so many anecdotes of this, and that was, and I wasn't, there was no blocking of, of anything. Even, even my girlfriend acknowledged there was. He didn't have to curse. Right. It's, he didn't have to so, curse. But it's right. that type of response, he, Rivka, so, with, I say this with love in my heart, but it's that type of response that gives us sometimes a bad name in the community because we justify silly things that don't need well, justifying. Well, you don't let, call let, someone a mother whatever. And also, Dove apologized. He wasn't, he was, he was yes, trying I to, hear, to Rabbi, I hear, it. you're right. But I want to I tell you, you, know, I to tell you a story that happened to us. We have a driveway and we came home late at night from a wedding and there's a car Parked right across our driveway, so okay, we can't park fair. there. We have to look for parking. <laughs> yeah, agreed with that. Well, guess what? Guess what? That car remained in the driveway for over right, but Rifka, that's an entire different over circumstance. Three days. I really now, appreciate wait, you calling it. Let me tell you. No, let me tell you the right. You got to hear this because I want to go on to a different topic okay, that's very gotta, important to you. We got to do it quick so we can get your point. The, after, by the third day, we called the police, and he got a ticket. Okay. The man came down, he was a from Jewish person, okay. and he says to me, you know, I don't have so much money, and I have a family of children, and this ticket's going to cost me a lot of money, and my husband and I, our heart melted, and we said, we're going to write you a note That's beautiful. that we were sorry that we called the police, and that maybe they could um, take the ticket away for you. But, but this is a different story, but I want to tell you that... Jewish people are human beings, and they have all kinds of feelings, just like we're all works in progress. That man that got angry, you don't know what he had experienced with no, that course, driveway but before. That's, but that's not but the, wanna, but that's I, not the I, point. I the point the, is I that we can, we, by pointing else. it out, it doesn't make me uh, self-hating or against the community to, to say, listen, we have an image issue. Let's let's be better. Let's let's it. work okay. on it. That's and, all we're saying. And, and, and Bob, yeah. it's not just about image. It's about truth. It's about okay. what it to be a person and a Jew. Forget about image. Even if even if you're not sure. going to be reported, right? Doesn't matter it's if anybody's looking. Every what? rabbi, every teacher, every parent should be communicating this message to all of our students. God cares. How you treat other human beings in the most mundane settings as much as he cares about you going to synagogue and Yom Kippur. Reverend Dave, I promise we're going to get back to you after the break. We're clearly hitting some, some, some buttons and listen, that, that means we're on to something that needs to be talked about. We're talking about the entitlement paradox, sometimes known in the academic community as moral license that comes from being religious. It is a thing. It, it, look it up. There's, uh, I'll mention a couple of the studies uh, in the show notes and maybe before we end so you can actually read some on it. It's fascinating. There's a lot of uh, peer-reviewed scientific data around these issues, both with children and adults, and around altruistic behavior, unfortunately, being more prevalent in non-religious groups and so forth. And, and it's not that religious people were worse. I think it's to some degree because we feel like we checked the box and uh, and we need to do better. We'll be, we'll be right back on Equal Footing. To- Won't you sing it quiet? Won't you sing it quiet? Won't you let 
All right, I got to give a shameless plug. I'm sorry, it's going to come before Manhattan Medical is our wonderful sponsor. That was my amazingly talented, beautiful sister, Nomi. And you can find her on uh, Apple Music and on other sound platforms, N-O-M-I, beautiful song. Very apropos to the topic tonight called Hypocrite. Actually, to some degree, about religious hypocrisy, that song. Okay, we got to talk about Manhattan Medical for a second. I never mind talking about them because they've been a great loyal sponsor of Equal Footing and also because, like we do on Equal Footing, they try to raise to the surface a topic that needs to get talked about that causes a lot of emotional pain and people are afraid to bring into the open. That's erectile dysfunction. You don't have to be embarrassed. It affects over 50%, uh, as much as 60% of men in their lifetime doesn't distinguish by religious affiliation, and it can prevent you from having enjoyable sex, and it can hurt uh, relationships, whether you're not dealing with it or, or you're, you're, um, you're pretending it doesn't exist. There are other solutions, however, that are different than those expensive blue pills that a lot of people can't take because of side effects or comorbidities. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy that's been approved in Europe and in Canada and is in provisionally being used in the United States called Gaines Wave Therapy. And Gaines Wave Therapy can help you achieve excellent results as it relates to erectile dysfunction without any uh, pharmacology, without having to take uh, a pill. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. The Gaines Wave therapy technique for erectile dysfunction that you get with Manhattan Medical, there are no side effects from it. And for most patients, you get wonderful results. Manhattan Medical is not just available to those living in the New York area. You can call from anywhere in the United States and get a telehealth consult. And if you mention that you heard about the Gaines Wave erectile dysfunction therapy on equal footing, you'll get a free consultation. That's a $250 value. Do yourself a favor if you're in a relationship where you're suffering from this issue. Erectile dysfunction is nothing to be ashamed about. It's something that happens to a lot of men. Call 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9 or 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Call Manhattan Medical. Get help. I've been caught. All right, we're back on equal footing. Oh, I wish we had another hour to talk about this. We had a couple of callers that have been very patient, folks that have texted questions. Sorry, we're not getting to everything. We will try to get to at least one more caller. Reverend Dave, uh, you talked about eternal security earlier. You mentioned that concept, moral license, as it's often referred to in the academic community. And I, I, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Do you think that this sense of entitlement in in the for folks that are very religious affiliated as very religious or ultra religious is more of a problem in the Jewish community than it is in a Christian community. Do you think it's the same? Do you think it's the other way around? If so, why? No, I I, I think it's the same because um, human nature is human nature. Um, sin is sin. Grace is grace. And when it, it comes down to it. Um, you know, the, the idea of what we're called to do, and I just throw out the, the quote of the, the prophet Micah, um, you know, when we're called to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly, that is contrary to um, even the whole concept of entitlement. To think that you have, and um, I appreciate the, Willie, uh, the Woody Allen reference, I'll go for a Blues Brothers line here, to think that you and the Lord have an understanding 
that allows you to have a hall pass on ethical behavior because of your faith uh, is something that I feel transcends uh, any one particular religious grouping. So there's no lock on hypocrisy. <laughs> it's, Not at all. It's an equal opportunity <laughs> problem. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to just fire through a couple of listener comments. If for nothing else, for people to feel like they're heard, because I don't like to squelch anybody's opinion, even if it's very much opposed to mine. Um, and some of these aren't. They're just going to put them out there. Uh, one listener says that looting has been going on a lot lately, I guess during the pandemic she's referring to, because uh, people don't know God or religion. And you do hear this argument that, okay, yeah, we might be rude sometimes, but worse stuff goes on if you don't believe in God. We have Shandy, uh, who is written from an 845 area code somewhere upstate, not exactly sure, saying, this is a tough one, guys, but I'm just going to read it without censoring. The Germans were very polite, but they killed. Jews might be a bit rough sometimes, but they don't kill. That's what we answer to an anti-Semite who lashed out at us recently in a department store blaming us for something he thought wasn't polite enough in what we said. Again, this, these are, you know, presented as anecdotal comments, but they, these are arguments that are made. I think they're, they're, they're valid arguments. Um, the, uh, one writer, I appreciate somebody writing, I appreciate this, even though I don't agree with some things said, wanted to make it clear that the comment that I made earlier in the program where I insinuated that having a sexual relationship with your girlfriend is not, is unhealthy or somehow against religion, that that part was not right. And maybe other things were, <laughs> that part wasn't right. Thank you to that listener. I appreciate that. I'm not sure if Rabbi Yway or the Reverend Doctor would agree, but thank you. Um, all right. I, I want to, to Rifka's point before, you know what? We don't even have time. There's so many things I wanted to ask. Uh, let's finish with an area of common ground, as we often try to. The golden rule. Now, Rabbi YY, you said something beautiful earlier yeah. in the program. And I'd like you to say it again. What is a footnote to what? What does it really mean to be not only a Jew, but probably certainly of any Abrahamic faith in a sentence? I think one of the, the, the greatest revolutions of the Hebrew Bible was that statement right in the beginning of Genesis, that the human being was formed and created in the visage of God. Now, we take the statement for granted, because, you know, it's cliche, but, but, but let's really think about it. For thousands of years, most conflicts in the world between humans and humans, between nations and nations, between faiths and territorial conflicts and all types of conflicts, political ones, etc., were based on the fact that somehow... The fact that you did not look like me, you didn't think like me, you didn't act like me, you weren't part of my tribe, my religion, my philosophy, my faith, my culture, somehow that made you inferior to me and gives me the right to subjugate you. And the great revolution of Genesis is that you may not be in my image, but you're still in God's image. And I may not be in your image, but I'm still in God's image. And what is... I encounter God in the face of a stranger. And the Reverend Dr., what is the golden rule? Because we, we shared across both religious platforms, so to speak. Well, and again, Jesus wasn't saying anything that was original. Uh, he said that, you know, treat people like you want to be treated. Uh, love your neighbors. You love yourself. And that is something that uh, I think that if we have the proper relationships around, we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. All right. That, I think, is at the key, the essence why I want to do this program. Let us never forget, as religiously observant people, wherever we are on that spectrum, that from my perspective, whatever uniform we put on, whatever, how many ever, however many times we go to temple on a given day or a given week, 
it is mostly incumbent upon us to treat others as we'd want to be treated, to not do unto anybody else as we would not done like done unto uh, ourselves, to be compassionate and love one another. Rabbi YY, Reverend Dave, you guys are compassionate with each other. Thank you for setting an example on equal footing. Catch you next time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Drive the drive chorus. Pick up a top panoris. City for which the Magalande. City for which the Magalande. City for which the Magalande.